Welcome to the Canine Classroom, a podcast for dog training professionals and dog enthusiasts where we discuss training, behavior, and everything in between. We're two friends and dog trainers that share a passion for dogs. We're constantly learning, exploring, and questioning each other's ideas as well as our own so we can become better at what we do. We're here to provide helpful advice, have open conversations, ask questions, get answers, as well as hear from colleagues and experts in the industry, regardless of method and training style. So take a seat and get your notepad out because class is in session. Hey everyone, welcome to Canine Classroom. I'm Anthony DiMarinis. The other guy over there is Vinny Viola. And today our special guest, she's really cool, Justine Shermans is here from the family dog. Hello. Uh, you got it. You I got, got it. it. I got it. I got it. <laughs> it's, I know my heart, my name is very hard to say and you managed it. Thank you, Anthony. <laughs> well, sometimes you have it with your other last name, right? Uh, I think I got both my last names on Facebook, but yeah, I go by yeah. this last name. Okay. Yeah. Well, that could be why I also screwed it up. It's tricky. I'm going <laughs> to let you off. I'm going to give you a pass. <laughs> so introduce yourself. That way it'll be a lot easier for us. Okay. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, I'm Justine Shermans and uh, I have a company called The Family Dog. Um, the website is thefamilydog.com. I guess probably... I'm most well known for the Stop the 77 video that I made a few years ago. And my um, my specialty is working with families um, with young kids. And I got into that because I had been teaching dog training classes for a few years. And then I had my own children and realized that what I was teaching in the classroom wasn't exactly what I was doing at home. And there wasn't a lot of information out there for parents to help them live with kids and a dog together. And there seemed to be like a massive hole in the market. And so um, I started the family dog back in 2009 and I haven't looked back. I work exclusively with parents and kids now and everything that I do, all my content and everything is really aimed at helping families live a better life, a happier life, a safer life and a yeah, better life with their dog. Do you have a lot of, uh, I've always been curious, I actually never asked you this, but do you have a lot of clients virtually that you work with for uh, like that are not local to you? Yeah, I actually, I feel like my job is really, I'm like, like my parenting life. I'm juggling a lot of plates because my business is split into two where I work directly with the public, um, with families, like with parents and children. I like to go in and work with kids themselves as well. Um, and I also have the other part of my business is working with trainers, helping them work with families. So I have both online and in-person stuff for um, the public. And then I have online programs, um, for professionals as well. So everything from a six week, um, in home training program that professionals can teach to families to school safety programs that you can teach inside a school, like half an hour fun based, you know, music video based programs and, and even a summer camp program. So I'm kind of, I'm juggling loads, um, Mm. which is kind of how I like it. And staying creative as well as 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 dog trainery i do all of my own graphics and make my own videos and stuff like that that's really important to me yeah the video i i still love that video with your son how old was he he was he was little he was oh my god yeah he was probably about 10 or 11 he's a character 
because now he's in high school right or on wednesday he's turning 17 and he'll be driving <laughs> yeah Uh-oh. i know that makes me sound really old doesn't it <laughs> but I was gonna, it's true <laughs> i was gonna ask if he still helps like do videos uh, for you well do you know what's amazing actually both i've my daughter's 18 and um and their dad and I both met in television. And I guess we've just always, having worked in TV, we always talk about production and audio and stuff like that. You don't even realize what you're doing, but your kids are listening to it all. And so now I actually ask him, I'll say, will you watch this video and see what you think? And he'll give me really good feedback on it. And they're both really talented video makers just by themselves. Not We haven't taught them. They're just They're just really good at it. So yeah, he's my backup. So tell us like what, so that way everyone knows, like, what are the, what's the average age range that you, uh, that you tend to work with, with children or that the program is, is geared towards? Well, I find that there are like two kids and dogs kind of end up living under the same roof under two circumstances, either, um, people get together and they say, we want to have kids one day, but let's try it out our parenting skills out on a dog first of all, see how that goes. <laughs> and they have the dog for a couple of years and then they go, all right, we're not bad at this. Want to pop out a baby and that's sort of, there's that way, um, which I don't really deal with those people. I leave that to family pours and Jen Triot sort of takes those, those cases. Um, and that the other way is um, that they will have a baby and maybe they'll have another baby and even another. And then they go, oh, great. All of these babies are out of diapers and we've just got our life back. Let's go ruin it again and get a dog. No, I'm just kidding. But they're like, <laughs> they'll, they'll make their life crazy again because their life is back under somewhat control. They're not carrying that giant bag of snacks and nappies and, you know, everything with them. Um and I so don't the know. Kids, I mean, I still carry a bag of snacks. You still carry a bag? Is Absolutely. that for Vinny or for yourself? <laughs> <laughs> Definitely for me. <laughs> I'm a resource guarder. He's got to have his own snacks. <laughs> so we've got two bags. Good. It's a heavy load, you boys. It's a heavy load. So yeah, th- so those kids tend to be in the age range of like four to, I want to say, 10. And so that that's really my sweet spot. So I tend to work with a lot of families who have the kids. They're bringing the dog into their life. And they don't know where to start and how to manage it. Um, and actually, the kids that are aged between five and nine are the most likely to be bitten. So again, it's all fallen into that that same like little window where it's really important that we teach kids, you know, what to do to make sure that they're being safe around their dog. Because instinctively, they do things sometimes that dogs just don't appreciate and they don't know. I want to. I definitely want to touch on the the part with like why they're why children around that age group seem to get bitten the most but i guess before we even jump into that why aren't they're the most annoying right (laughs) yeah (laughs) actually they're not i think the most annoying age is teenagers by far i'll take a five to nine year old on any day of the week since Vinny brought that up uh we were talking about before like where should we kind of navigate the conversation first so i think i think that's a good spot to kind of start is like for the dog trainer, kind of like what to do, how to help the family, how to work with the kids, assuming the because they're definitely you made a good point before. There are definitely trainers who don't enjoy working with children, especially younger children, because it can definitely be more more difficult to work with. Um, yeah, especially if the parents not to sound mean, but especially if the parents don't have like uh 
you know, the most cannot control the kids in, in a certain right. situation or, you yeah. know, there's, they, and there's just like a lot going on and the kids are running this way and the dogs yeah. the way. And so like, yeah, I guess kind of like, what are some, what are some things that uh, can be beneficial for like a trainer uh, working with, with kids of that age group? So, oh, you had loads of stuff in there. Um, Sorry. <laughs> no, there's loads of stuff to talk about because I totally understand that. I want the first point that I want to make. I'm just writing notes to myself so that I can um, remember what I want to talk about. Because oh, well, see, this my, is my brain ain't so good the first at these days. Person who's actually like, writing down, and I, I, I just pulled a Vinny. Like I just asked ten questions in one. You and did. She's speaking, writing everything down. Good for you. Well, I just don't want to forget. And there's some really you brought up some really good stuff, and I want to circle back to it. So the first thing is is that I totally understand why some people would not want to work with kids they're scary they really can be scary right because they're really unpredictable they're really sometimes really excitable they also don't hide it if they're not interested so if you bomb you can bomb loudly with kids you know it's like oh god why am I even here um, and if you don't have children yourself I would imagine it's very intimidating to walk into a busy family where the kids are running all over the place. The parents are kind of half engaged, but also maybe sometimes the TV's on and they're cooking dinner and you're like, hi, we're here to do a lesson. And you know, you haven't really got much going on. So I would say that um, to the trainers that are um, interested in working with families and, and don't have kids, let's talk a little bit more about the things I would love. I'd love to come back to this and say what the things that they can focus on. Um, but one of the things I realized in doing this and making loads of mistakes at the beginning, because even though I did have kids, I didn't get everything right, obviously, when I was working out um, how I was going to work with them. But I think the most successful way to teach a family is to separate up the kids and the parents. That's really, really big for me. So in my six week training program that I have currently, three are with the parents and three sessions are with the kids. And so I can talk to the kids one-on-one. -on -one. I mean, sorry, I start with the parents and I can really kind of home in on what is bothering them, what they're really struggling with. And it might be their children, it might be the dog, it might be the setup, but I can really spend some quality time with them and teach them the important things that they need to know. Mm -hmm. And then when I come to work with the kids, I've got a whole different hat on. It's fun it is just all fun we play games I have little quizzes for them I've got like uh, I go to the dollar store and I pick out stupid little toys that they can get tr uh, prizes for when we when we do these little challenges and we involve the dog and we can have fun together and I ask the parents to just watch like literally just watch what I'm doing so that when I leave that they can pick up where I left off and kind of reward the same thing and I find that just to be so much more of a successful setup um, and with kids obviously Kids, kids and puppies are so similar. So if you know how to work with a puppy, um, I always say that fun, fast and rewarding. It's got to be fun or they're just going to sit there with their arms folded. It's got to be fast. If you talk too much and start trying to teach them things, they're like, bye, they're gone. And it's got to be rewarding. They've got to feel like they're winning right from the beginning, no matter what the thing is, for them to want to stick with it. So those three things to me always are like my drivers and I check in and be like, is this hitting those three marks? And if it's not, it doesn't make it in the program. You make a good point too, that one thing I always do is I usually tell parents like the first two or three lessons, let's just do it without the kids. 
just so that way I can help you answer all your questions, start laying a foundation for you and the puppy, because that stuff's going to be a little boring for the children in many respects. Whereas like once we have some foundation going and, and the puppy understands certain things, the parents have an expectation or have an understanding, then it's easy to get the kids in, get them involved, assuming that they, they want to uh, get involved. Um, so I yeah. just find that to be a lot easier, honestly. So you make, that's a good yeah. point. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't even go too many sessions without seeing the kids because sometimes the kids give away some really important clues about what the dynamic is in the household. So <laughs> yeah. like if you, if you do four sessions with the parent, it can look like a really nice, calm house. You do one <laughs> session with your kids. You're like, whoa, <laughs> all right. This well, is I also think it depends on our... enthusiasm of the child too, yeah. right? Like I, I know, like usually when I meet the family for the first time in, in the initial consult, if I see that the kids are a little standoffish or apprehensive or really have no interest, for sure, I'm going to recommend, hey, let's just start without them. And yeah. then like, because then once we teach the puppy things and the kids see how cool that is, mm-hmm. then, then it's a little easier to like get buy-in. Um, yeah, totally. And, and I you know- kind of have to get the buy-in from the parents as well. So you have to yeah. let the parents know that you know what you're doing for them yeah. to be able to trust you to do other stuff with them and their dog and their kids. Otherwise they don't, you know, you really, I think that's important. I try to teach something immediately when I go to my first session, just so that they're like, oh, good. She's not just waffling for an hour, you know? (laughs) Yeah, you know what I I like doing with kids and families, obviously not with like extremely difficult cases, but I like working during that time of like the bus, the bus coming home from kids coming home from school. So like if the bus comes home at like 2.30, I'll do like a two o'clock appointment. So I'm like with the parents for for like a half an hour with the dog. And I kind of see because like to what your point is, is like if you set that session up, you're doing three, four sessions with no kids in this like laboratory setting, no chaos. And their main mm-hmm. issue is the like the stuff that's going on with the kids. It's like maybe not the first time, but like the second session. It's like, all right, when does the bus come home? I'm going to get there 30 minutes early. I want to see what your life is like. And then we're going to walk together because they all go to the bus stop and we could talk about like, I know, like the whole bus stop trip Mm -hmm. is like one of my least favorite things that people do, but they all do it. So I'm like, let's do it. You do it anyway. I'm going to come along for this. And then just the seeing the change that the dog goes through that first half an hour versus like that we pick the kids up from the bus and now we're back in the house and like homework and snack time and kids running around. It's amazing. Like you see two different dogs in one hour and then you're like, oh, this is what they were complaining about that I didn't see. Right. You know? And I'm just assuming, I love that you do that, Vinny. That's a really, that's a good hack because you're you're doing kind of a bit of what I was saying before is like splitting up the session so you can yeah. have yeah. time with the parent and then have time with the kids and the dog separately. But I'm guessing not only do you see a very different dog, but I'm guessing you see a different parent as well. Oh, yeah. Right? Oh, they yeah. don't look the same. <laughs> kids are not around. They're like, yes, you know, we've got a second. They're still running around busy, but then... They're different. It's it's a lot of work. I just, I mean, I, I, I told you I used to work in television and I would work sometimes 20 hour days, like really intense work. I work in live television. You, there's no, the, the show has to happen at whatever time, at whatever date. And so you have to work and make sure that you've, you've got the work done. And then I had kids. I thought that was the hardest job. And then I had kids and I'm like, it's not even comparable. Like it's so, parenting is so exhausting. It really, really is. There's nothing like it. 
nothing. So I wanted to ask you there because you mentioned before briefly that you realized that after you had kids, there was some stuff that you were doing that wasn't helpful. So like, what was the biggest, like, what were the biggest changes in, in how you were teaching people like after you had your own kids and like, maybe what were like the biggest mistakes? Not, I don't want to call it a mistake, but maybe the most, the least helpful stuff that maybe you were, you were advising your clients to do before you had kids. Yeah. Like irrelevant things, things that just became irrelevant and things that became really important. I think I, I started much more with like, um, I was lucky because my first dog that I had when my kids were young, she already had quite a lot of skills on her anyway before my kids arrived. So she was easy. She, the kids slotted in and it was good. And then I, but then I adopted a couple of dogs afterwards and that was, and that was, you know, a little bit more tricky because my kids were two and three when I adopted um, one of my dogs who was an Australian shepherd mix. So I did things like, what's really important is um like you said when the kids come home off the bus even though they were younger that this wasn't a bus time for them it was more around dinner time and snack time I don't want that dog under the table just like resting their head on the kids jumping up trying to take food off their plates and I'm trying to help my kids eat their food without spilling it all over the place so my focus really needs to be on the kids so I would tether that dog away from the table and give her a bone to chew on while the kids were at the table and I think it's the British in me, but my kids weren't allowed to get down from the table. I didn't allow running around at all. And when they finished their food, they actually had to ask to get down from the table. It's like, it's a bit embarrassing, but this is how I was brought up. So they would say thank And actually, I even taught them in French. That's how ridiculous I am. That's really embarrassing, but just, you know, be a bit multilingual about it. Why not? So um, anyway, um, the, so the, it was a very controlled environment. So the kids were never going over to my dog when she was eating her bone. I knew they'd sit up at the table, but having that tethering, tether spot away from the table became so important. Nobody was bothering anyone. Everybody was happy. And then it gets to the stage really quickly when you start to bring the food out for the kids and the dog just immediately goes to the mat and just says, okay, well, I know what I'm doing here. That's that patterning thing that you were talking about in your proactive conversation that I listened to the other week I mean you have to as a parent you have to schedule out your time really really wisely and so I love that that thinking of when we do blank dog you do blank so I was doing a lot of that stuff um you know when we're playing outside you have this so we play with you for a little while then you come in and then I can focus on playing with the kids um I uh, one of the things that I thought was really important was an automatic leave it so I my dogs aren't as good as, at that now because it's not quite so important but when your kids drop everything everything all over the place and if the dog just runs over and says oh it hits the floor it must be mine that can be really dangerous um not just from a, them putting things in their mouth, but I never wanted it to turn into a guarding thing either where the kid's like, oops, I just dropped my fill in the blank and then goes to grab it. And the dog's like, nope, that's mine. I didn't have, my dogs were not like that, but I didn't want to make something happen, create that situation. So, Well, I think that's important though, because I would say half the time, maybe more, I don't know, but half the time, we're as professionals being called when something is already created. Whereas if we have a plan in, in our head, even if we don't know how to get there, if we have a plan in our head of what we're wanting or expecting, I think that's really important. So like, for example, like I, I hate count a counter and table surfing. I just hate it. It's just, 
It's just something that just bothers the hell out of me personally. I just don't yeah. like it. And from day one, I, when I get my puppy, I mean, I am right away teaching them to either be on their place or in their crate or somewhere when I'm eating or when I'm cooking. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just think having that that plan in place is super important to your point, you know, because yeah. a lot of families like it, it just things happen and it kind of just happens as they're going through their regular daily motions. Right. Because they're not just eating their own food. They're trying to serve dinner. They're trying to help the kids. Their focus is not with their dog. So try to realistically asking them to teach their dog how to lie down and stay on a mat for 20 minutes plus while everyone's eating is not realistic. Mm-hmm. They just don't, they can't do it. They don't have the bandwidth to be able to manage kids and dogs at the same time. So what's a solution? And this comes into the way that all dog trainers can help I believe can help families is by giving them simple solutions that they can activate right from the get-go. And then if they want to add that level, a higher level of training on their dog, awesome. But let's not set the dog up to be starting to steal stuff off the table from the beginning. Now we're undoing a problem that never needed to happen in the first place. You make a good point too, because I guess if like, you know, I, I know I'm guilty of this a lot where I see certain dogs. I'm like, oh, my God, I could do so many awesome things with this dog. And you just get excited when you meet that puppy or that dog for the first time. And you're like, whoa, this is a really cool dog. But that could also scare the owner a lot because if it's too difficult or not simple enough to your point, they're not going to follow through or they're not going to have you come back or over time, they might even actually resent the puppy. What, what do you mean resent them in what way? Like, like I think that if if over time you start having these high expectations and the puppy isn't meeting those expectations, for example, I find that that is somewhere where the family or the, the parent may resent the puppy in some way as a result because maybe they're having this high expectation or the 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 skills or things that we're teaching them aren't simple enough. And yeah. do you, does that make sense? I don't know. If yeah, I'm- I think so. Yeah. I think, I think the, the common theme that I see um, when people call me is that they have, they have their family already made. They add this dog into the mix and they think the dog is going to be additive. Like it's going to add yeah, to their that, life. It's going to fulfill yeah. them. It's like the, you complete me moment, you know, and, That's what and I then, mean. When, and, and then and it doesn't turn out that way. Right, then it's take right. it starts subtracting from family life because now they can't sit down and have a meal without the dog pestering them, or you know they can't walk together in the park because the dog, you know, is dragging them on a leash. But the kids want to go to the playground and they just don't know how to manage all those things all together. So that I is that's what is that what you meant? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think between that and also just like when they're expecting to teach a dog certain things and it doesn't happen that way. Yeah. You know, and then yeah. it, it becomes very stressful. And as a result, they do start, I find some owners will start resenting the dog and it's not, I mean, not, I'm not saying that it's their, it's their fault or anything. It's normal. I mean, it happens to everyone, you know, you're going to, yeah. whether it's with a dog or a person, you know, like you're going to resent someone or something at some point. <laughs> <laughs> but to be but to be fair like puppies are exhausting 
as well as having kids it's it is exhausting so you can't I think it's easy to to fall into the resentment trap of somebody or the resentment can also quickly go to your partner because the partner's not pulling the weight either with the kids or the dog or undoing the work that one parent thinks that they're doing because there's usually one parent that's like really gung-ho about you know I'm going to do this training and we're going to get everything straightened out and we're going to be awesome and then the other parent comes back and just doesn't (laughs) care and undoes it all and then that's like with kids also the same thing parents do the same no yes exactly (laughs) so that was going to be where my next question was going justine what do you do when you have say there's like the one kid that just locks himself in the room when you're there and doesn't want to be around the puppy and maybe is just like sick of dealing with it or maybe it's scared of the dog or if it's more the parent side you have like what you were just joking about like you have one parent that maybe doesn't want you to be there Mm -hmm. or doesn't think you should be there or maybe not just like in a negative way maybe like oh like this dog doesn't need training you know like you have all those different dynamics so yeah what do you what what is your way of of dealing with some of that Oh, there's so many answers in that now. So um, let's <laughs> start with the down. first. I know. I really feel like I do. I want to write loads of things. Down. Um, the first thing that I think that I think we should say out loud is you can't fix all families. So I've lost a lot of sleep over families that I've worked with that have not followed what I've said. I've fired some clients before for not following information that I gave to them that, that was really important, especially around safety that was ignored. But the thing is, is I can't change them. So I can do the very best I can to try to connect with them and make what I'm asking them to do to help keep everybody safe as easy and as achievable as possible and as fun as possible. But then if that doesn't happen, I gotta let that go. Um, For the parents that are not on the same page, I think what I tend to do is I like to start with, because also you find this about training methods as well. You know, there'll be the, um, I don't want to call out the guys, but it is often the guys for me that had a dog when they were younger and they just do, you know, that's usually some sort of punitive training that they've done before. And if I come up with an idea that's not punitive, then there's a question about that. And that, and, and it's all fine, but I think the best way to get everybody on the same page is to start at the end, to start the goals. Like, what are your goals for this dog? And then we can discuss the way in which we get there. Because if you if you just start from the beginning and go kind of like on a linear level, oh, you know, this dog's doing this and we start attacking it from that place, I don't think that we end up, we don't move as a, as a, as a like a, a unit, if you like. But if we can say, look, this is the kind of dog that we would like to be part of our family. And then we can say, well, these are the small slices that we can do to get there and see if we can get everybody on board. I f- feel like that's the best way um, of unifying everybody because it can be tricky. I mean, there's multiple people in one house, as you know, as you rightly pointed out. There might be the kid who's scared. If the kid is really frightened of the dog, and I've had lots of um, cases like that, we set up um, scenarios where the kid can interact with the dog in a way that makes them feel comfortable. And I and I think the best way to do that actually is to teach the dog some fun tricks. So instead of being this frightening dog, they're kind of goofy and fun. And then they can do a lot of that either behind a baby gate or they can do that on um, a leash and tethered. And sometimes if you even do something as simple as just putting masking tape 
on the floor in the kitchen, tether the dog like in the kitchen on a six foot, eight foot leash, and then have this piece of masking tape so the kid knows where to come to and know that they will not be touched by the dog and they're completely safe. That's a really nice way to build some confidence and that the kid can say, hey, spin or high five or whatever, and know that they've got an element of control over the dog. I don't really like that. That word is such a kind of a yucky taboo word, but they can activate things in the dog, let's say it that way. And they can connect with them and they can communicate with them. I think that they find that really empowering. You yeah, mentioned... I like that you bring up. I like, I'm sorry, Anthony. No, go ahead. Go ahead. I like that you brought up, because you brought it up a few times now and I wanted to kind of elaborate on it. Like, I'd like that you brought up tricks a bunch of times, like, like spin and twirl and high five and paw, because yeah. I feel like this is where we sometimes punish kids as trainers. You go to someone's house, they're like, oh, my dog is pulling in unruly. And the kid is maybe involved in the training session. And they kind of are like, look, I taught, you know, buddy how to roll over. And we kind of like, even the parents, oh, like we're busy, like we're training right now. Like don't, right. like, don't interrupt. And like, then the kid like walks to the corner, like, oh, like I wanted to show the trainer a trick that mm -hmm. I did. Whereas like more often now, like I will give attention to that kid. Like, oh, like show, oh, you do a rollover with him. And like, I get him involved instead of just like, pushing oh yeah that's a cute little trick but like the adults are here doing like adult stuff yeah. with the dog where where sometimes I don't know about you guys but sometimes I find like the kid in the house has the best relationship with the dog than the parents because they are fun they are unpredictable but in a good way they do understand how to play and they they like let loose and have fun so the dog like loves the kid like they'll always it'll always be like this young like six-year-old that'll all of a sudden come out of her bedroom or his bedroom and like the dog will be like healing around this kid in the living room and listening to every single thing. Meanwhile, like the parent can't even get the dog to like do a sit, you mm -hmm. know? So I, I like that you bring up like including play and fun and, and just teaching a trick, even if like your goal is like leash walking, you know, like you might overlook, let's teach my dog to do a spin. Like why? I never need that. You know, and, it doesn't... And, and that Vinny, you're so on the money, like teaching the tricks, teaching tricks is all kids want to do right? Mm -hmm. So why don't we give them that? Because not only are we creating a better bond between the kid and the dog, but also we're fostering like, it's almost like reading to children. You're, re you're teaching the love of reading. If you read your kids' stories, they love the stories. Yeah. So maybe they'll pick up a book by themselves. So we're fostering that interest in working with dogs and learning more about dogs and you know creating this relationship because at the end of the day look there's nothing more annoying to me we all have our bugbears but I hate dogs pulling on leash and I always seem to have <laughs> to deal with that and I hate it but like a dog pulling on leash is not going to get that dog relinquished a dog biting or growling at a child will so to me, the number one thing that I need to focus on when I go into a family is ensure that the relationship between the dog and the kid is intact and it's quality and there's trust there because otherwise that dog's not going to stay in the house. Like back in the day, you know, I've said this a billion times, like if you got bitten by a dog, your family would say, what were you doing? <laughs> right. What did you do to the dog? <laughs> now, <laughs> yeah. Now, if a kid gets bitten by a dog, the parent will say, we can't have this dog in our house. I can't live with this. And I understand both. You know, I do, as a parent, you don't want anything bad to happen to your kids, but there's no room for error anymore for dogs when it comes to children. What are, so what are, and maybe you sort of already answered this, uh, but 
I guess, what are those things that you look for right out the gate? What should a trainer be looking for right out the gate to try and help foster that relationship with their dog or their puppy? So that way, things like what you're saying don't have to come to that point. I'm looking for kindness and being gentle. That's really important to me. A kid who's rough handling um, or not respectful of the dog is definitely a really good place for me to start teaching my stuff. <laughs> I'm like, we we got some work to do here. Um, some spatial awareness, I think, is really important as well. You know, not just running around the dogs, jumping over the dog, picking the dog up, getting in the dog's face. Um, those, I, I, and I have seen this with my own eyes multiple times, that kind of behavior can take a really easygoing, like pretty much average dog into a dog who growls at kids. It's created in families sometimes. So if I see any of that, um, that's why I like to get to see the kids early on in the relationship because, or early on in my sessions with them, I want to check out their relationship to see what's happening. Um, I also want to look at how the parents deal with that. Like, did they notice it or do they just... Is do they justify it? Do they are they unaware of how that could be damaging to the dog? And then I will talk to the parents about that and what implications that can have as well. So I'm really such a relationship sort of focused trainer, I guess, and everything starts there because I think that if that's not there, then the dog is in really, you know, dodgy territory as to whether they'll be successful. So I wanted like let's since you're kind of jumping into like resource guarding a little bit, like is what I'm thinking of as you're saying that, like, let's jump into that topic because I find, and maybe this is, I don't know, maybe it's just me, but I find one of the biggest things that there's an issue with is in homes with children is the puppy is either taking the kid's stuff, mm-hmm. um, you know, cause whatever the kid left his socks on the floor, left his favorite, uh, you know, toy on the floor, whatever it is. So then the puppy or the dog grabs it, kids start chasing, then, over, you know, either becomes a game and then it can turn into some guarding type of behavior. So I kind of want to like, let's jump into that a little bit, I guess. Like, what are, what are the things like, is that common? Do you see that as oh. a common issue? Is that one of your top common issues or like, what are you doing to kind of start uh, address addressing that stuff? Yeah. I mean, I think that's a really, this is a really good conversation. I think we're probably all in agreement here. Let me ask you, do you think resource guarding can be taught? It's not just innate in some dogs. Oh yeah. Yeah. I think that certain things that kids or just the family in general do are going to heighten that behavior, whether, whether it was created a hundred percent or whether maybe the dog had a little bit of that in there. And now you just exacerbated that because of Mm -hmm. whatever it is that you were doing or the way you were addressing it. Yeah. So I definitely, I definitely think that's, that's, um, it, it, it can be created. And I think that, um, you know, kids, they're not predictable. Um, and if they drop something or they see something of that, so they're not also great, <laughs> like some adults, at um, regulating their emotions. And that all comes with time. So 
they drop something on the floor and it's important to them and the dog goes up and picks it up, then of course the first thing they're going to want to do is to take it back. And that could mean chasing after the dog, snatching it out of the dog's mouth. All of these things could start off, as you said, Anthony, it could actually be a really fun game at the beginning. And then it can start turning as the dog gets a little bit older. And they start to say, no, thanks. I'm hanging on to this. This is clearly very precious. It's mine. I want it. Um, and then we turn into get into that kind of the growling and snapping uh, situation. And I think that we have to be really careful as adults around two things. But kids need to be taught that they should be givers and not takers. So that's another like basic 101 family dog expression that I have kids are givers and not takers it's that simple even if the thing is theirs and even if the thing is dangerous the thing that they can do is tattle so kids are always told not to tattle but I'm like you this is where you tattle you shout for a parent in the room um and you get them to come and deal with it and honestly really the kid shouldn't be left alone the parent shouldn't be out of the room really or too far from the kid anyway especially when they're younger um and then the other thing that we need to be wary of as parents is how we remove things from what do we do when the dog takes something and runs off with it? Because if the dog steals, you know, mom's shoes and she starts running after the dog and grabbing it out of the dog's mouth, then, you know, kids are amazing imitators. They're going to do exactly what they see their parents doing. If they're modeling that behavior, they they'll do exactly that. And while a dog even though they don't like it. Some dogs might be okay with being chased after, backed into a corner and have their mouth opened and have the object removed by a grown-up. They are not necessarily going to be the same when it comes to kids, certainly as they get older. They know the difference between kids and adults and they know that kids aren't just short grown-ups. They're different. And so then you see it turning from like um, Suzanne Clothier talks about this, you know, resource guarding being um, differentiated by fear and limit setting. And I think that we'll see the limit setting piece come in with kids when they're like, uh, no, that's mine. And let's see what happens when I do this. Like if I snap at you. And of course, the kid's not going to be like, oh, I'm going to take you on. And so that that can go down a really slippery slope too. So I always try to talk to parents about how they're removing things, how they're trading and how and what they what they the way that they treat their their dog and how their kids can see what they're modeling. I think it's really important, even if they want to remove their dog and put their dog in a timeout right from time to time. Dogs, certainly adolescent dogs get really over the top. I live with one. I think you both live with adolescent dogs. We know what they're like, right? So occasionally they need to be removed from the room for a hot second until everybody calms down. But if you do that in like a frenetic way where you're grabbing hold of the dog and shoving them in a crate, kids will see that. And and it's likely that they'll mimic what they see because they don't know any different. I'm I'm actually glad you brought that up because it, it didn't cross my mind until you just said that. But like just the other day, I actually had a parent who said, who asked me, you know, so my, my kid shouldn't do that. Right. And I'm like, no, absolutely not. Like, I don't want, like you, you're, you shouldn't really be doing any uh, like these things or certain things in the front of the kid because they're going to mimic what you do. So like timeout right. is actually a great example, you know, because like I mean, 
it might be effective, but at the same time, it might not be effective for certain situations that involve the child because they might decide, oh, well, I'm going to take it upon myself to show mom and dad that I could do this too when Fluffy does X, Y, Z. Right. Yeah, because every all kids want to be older than they are, right? They all want to be cooler and better, and you know, in charge and in control. And mm-hmm. so you could be setting yourself up for for some trouble there. And that also kind of leads into the other conversation about you know the separation of responsibilities in the household. A lot of parents think that kids should be able to do everything. You know, whether that is disciplining the dog, whether it's walking the dog around town, um, whether it's removing something out of the dog's mouth. And I like to set really clear boundaries around what is a grown up's job and what is a kid's job, because I think that that is another thing that can be miscommunicated um, between kids and dogs about how their relationship um, is established. Yeah, that's a good tip for trainers, especially like having having like. I feel like with one thing with kids is those sessions. I always leave there thinking like, these are the sessions where you need to have like a checklist of things that you really need to make sure to cover in some way, because the training piece is certainly important, but the conversation of structure how to manage things, whose job is what in the home, I think is so, 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 so important. I mean, I just think that's like one of the things on the checklist that or one thing that should be on the checklist for like dog trainers, you know, when they're consulting or having a conversation with parents for the first time is whose job or is what and and what role is who playing here. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and being able to explain why that's important and what the risks are of the kids doing it over the parents doing it. especially when it comes to, I have a poster about this actually, because I used to get asked about it all the time about kids walking dogs. And I mean, my, (laughs) my benchmark for a kid walking a dog is they have to be 14. Parents hate me. Like they just cannot. They're like, what? We got a dog. We want these kids to get involved in helping out and you're not letting us let our kids walk the dog. And I'm like, just think about the different scenarios that could happen here. Like there are so many where things could go wrong and forever change the dog's life or the kid's life for that matter. Mm. Based on size, um, you know, learning, responsibility, capability, connection. There's so many different, there's so many different pieces and that's in both the dog and the child. I wanted to go back to, you mentioned timeout before. So... Uh, more this is more of like for technical question because I'm, I'm just curious so when i originally was taught um timeout if it was even allowed to be used because sometimes depending on i guess who you're learning from or whatever that could be questionable right mm-hmm. um but when i was being taught about timeout a lot of people would say put the puppy in timeout for I don't know, 20 seconds, 30 seconds, and that's it. And I just feel like that isn't enough time, especially when we're trying to get the puppy to cool, get the puppy, you know what I mean? Like allow the puppy to cool off. Whereas like now I'm, I always feel like for me, timeout needs to be a three to five minute process 
where they're in the penalty area for a longer duration. And I, that's going to kind of fluctuate a little bit depending on why the puppy is being placed in timeout in the first place. And that's also going to depend on a lot of other factors if the puppy is you know, having a little puppy fit barking or is actually anxious, then that's totally going to be totally different. It's going to look totally different for, for the puppy. But I'm just curious, I guess, like what your take is on that. Do you feel that timeouts, if they're short in duration, 20, 30 seconds are effective? Because I have found, I have found that like having the, giving the puppy the opportunity to be in the penalty area for a longer duration can help settle them, especially when I, when I want to then allow them to come back out and give them another opportunity to be involved in whatever they were doing prior. Yeah. I mean, given that, as you said, that it's protest sometimes more than panic, if it's panic, then that, then that changes everything. But if it's protest of being in the, the timeout, then, um, I just, I think timeout, the point of the timeout is to give everybody some space to take it down a notch and that is not just the dog that's also the human um there are times when my dog's done something that is really infuriating to me and it's a lesson that I'd really like them to understand that, that I really that doesn't fly in the house but also I'm just wound up and I don't have the I need to just calm myself down before I'm going to be fair to the dog like to be my best show up as my best self to my dog at that moment yeah. so I like you I think 20 seconds it depends what the violation is um and if I feel like the dog is calm enough after 20 seconds kind of got it and I'm in a good space that might be enough but most of the time I would say the I might not be in that place depending on how busy I am or I or the dog is overamped, and that's why they did the thing that they did well I'm living with the really a dog that's really um he's busy. He's constantly busy. And so he gets overamped and then he does silly things. And so then I'm much more likely to put him in. It's less of a timeout. It's more of like, okay, we're up here, you know, we're on a nine and I need you to come back down to a six or a five. Mm. And so let's have some time away. And it's not, it's not a punishment so much as it is a reset really of both for him and for myself. And if you've got kids, imagine, I mean, my kids are now teenagers, but when my kids were younger, the dog needs to be out of the mix because everybody starts getting involved and that energy leads into everybody in the house. You know, dogs whip up a f like the frenzy and kids whip up a frenzy as well. They make the dog crazy. So having that space away instead of seeing it as a punishment can actually be like the greatest gift to everybody. So we can all, you know, chill out, take a drink of water, get back on track and, you know, be nicer to each other. And then the other thing I wanted to ask that you mentioned, and this is actually maybe this question's kind of for both you and for Vinny. What do the two of you like, or how do you address clients who tend to ask the question of, uh, with trading, for example, because Justine, you mentioned trading before um, when we were discussing resource guarding a little bit. And I know for me, one of the questions I get a lot from dog owners is how long do I need to trade for? Is, is the puppy learning to go grab stuff to get a treat to trade? Um, and so, and I know Vinny and I've talked about this a couple of times because he trades, uh, you know, he, he's discussed trading out like with his 
with his adolescent dog right now. Um, so uh, like, what do the two of you, how, how do you guys both kind of address owners when they're concerned about trading or, or how long can I trade for like all that type of stuff? Cause I think that's a question that I notice I get a lot. And I, I have had conversations with other trainers that, and that get that question. And just everyone seems to end up getting annoyed with that because even though it's simple for us, it's definitely not always the most convenient thing to do for a parent, especially because if they don't have the treats and then they have to go get the treats and all this other stuff. So I'm just curious to hear like what you guys both do. Go Vinny. So <clears throat> depends on how old the dog is. It depends on the relationship that the owners have with the dog. And then it de depends on the stakes that are involved. My first answer that I give is I'd rather my dog be begging me to trade than biting me <laughs> or <laughs> or even worse. Like, I don't know why this seems to scare people more, <laughs> but like dogs that will instead of resource guarding and biting will just like swallow objects. I think because like they think about vet bills and they'd rather get bit in the hand than bringing their dog to the vet for a three thousand dollar <laughs> surgery. But it's like when you tell them that one, they're like, oh, yeah, I don't want that to happen. Um I feel like I can tell the difference between a dog that I'm trading out because they wanted the item versus like they're picking up an item to trade. If that makes sense, you know, like like my adolescent puppy, he's a year now, but a few months ago I started noticing he would like get a tissue and like bring it to me and drop it and look at me, right? So that's a dog that's starting to learn, like, I got this thing. I'm not supposed to have it. I don't really want it. But like, I know if I drop it and look at you, you'll give me something, right? So I have, I personally am careful when I, like, there, there are things that I do with my own personal dogs that I don't instruct my clients to do. And I know there are some trainers that might hear that and be like, oh, like what you think you're better or you think like whatever it has nothing to do with me thinking that like I have skills that someone else doesn't have. It's that like I know the relationship I have with my dog. So like I kind of know what I'm allowed to get away with like doing. And like I feel like that's an intricate thing and maybe like a topic all in itself of like how do you start making those decisions? But like. I didn't do that overnight and I didn't do that in like a specific training drill for me to like write down and show you as a protocol of like, this is how I eventually tell my dog, Hey, cut the shit and drop the sock and I'm not giving you anything for it, you know, but like that does happen over time where like, I could just be like, dude, drop it. And he like drops and he looks at me like, Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm like, yeah, you're not getting anything for that. Like go freaking lay down. I don't know how to put that into a, like a one, two, three drill, really, because it involves playing with my dog and relationship with my dog and treat training and different relationship. Am, is this making sense? Or, I don't know if you guys it's are like looking at me like, oh my God, you're I, not. That's exactly what you know? I'm thinking. It's exactly the same thing and that like, I'm thinking. And like where I struggle is because when I go to someone's house, I there is a part of me that's like, let's just teach them how to do what I do with Zim, right? But then I'm like, I can't because I'm not here all the time and I don't know if they're going to do it right. And once I start teaching them how to be punitive a little bit, they might rely on it because it is easier to just tell your dog, hey, knock it off. Give me that, you know? So, yeah, <laughs> I guess 
my baseline would be playing. Like I do a lot of, like if you can't play tug with your dog and get your dog to drop an item and then take it back again, like, uh, you know, that's just one area that I want to start working on. So what I do is I do a lot of trades and then I say, Hey, like, how does your dog play tug? Does he drop it? Oh, only sometimes. And then I kind of want to work on that because I can teach them how to play a game of tug with their dog in a way that's not full of conflict and then start building relationship and this trusting thing of like, you're going to drop this thing of like somewhat high value, but not a lot. And then you're going to get it right back. And we're going to do that a million times. And when it is a sock, it's like, you know, oh yeah, sure. I'll drop that. You don't want to start doing this stuff when your dog has a, you know, a cooked chicken bone on the side of the street and you're grabbing your dog's face, you know, like that's not right. what I'm, I'm deciding. So Sorry for the long answer, but that's that's what's hard about it. Is it's not as simple like, oh, yeah, just do this and then you're good. It's, it's exactly I, I 100 percent agree with you. What I do in my house is not necessarily what I would teach because I don't have the time or the the ability and the bandwidth to be able to teach them all those skills that you're saying. There's so much that goes into your relationship with your own dog and so much history and like you, when I first um, when I first get my dogs, I always play with them. We do loads of like, I throw a toy and then I'll run and hide and then they bring it. I'm like, woohoo, you found me. Like, give me the toy. And then we trade and we play. And there's so much dropping of objects, especially because I have um, a gun dog. And I'm, you know, that's always on my mind is the, the resource guarding sort of potential of wanting to have picking up absolutely everything and wanting to hold on to it. Um, but I'm not going to teach my clients that. I mean, what what you said, Vinny, I would be, if I still do tons of trading with him um, because he does like to take things sometimes and kind of be like, look what I've got. And he's got that little, you know, that glint in the eye where it's like, yeah. <laughs> I just might run. I might, I'm thinking about it. What are you thinking? And so I'm like, <laughs> you know bring it to me and i'll trade but if i catch him sometimes i'll see him going this is why he still wears a drag line inside sometimes um is he'll you know climb up on the coffee table and sneak my glasses and i'm like that's not happening so then i would take him with the drag line put him behind the baby gate and i would take the glasses off him and he would not get a treat for that but i'm not gonna teach that to my clients because that line is again I know where the line is and I and I don't think it's fair to ask my clients who are new into this relationship building thing to be able to do that. So what I say to them is like, you know, puppy proof your house, put your stuff away. And if your dog picks up something, we're going to teach them to be the best re retriever in the world. We're going to teach them to bring you everything. So it's not just dropping it. It's actually bringing it to you. So most most people don't walk around with a treat bag on them. Um, unless you're a weirdo like us, we might do, but mm -hmm. they might not. Um, in fact, people think it's hilarious that people do actually walk around with cheat bags. <laughs> I don't know if your clients have said that, like people actually have a cheat bag on them all the time. Like, yeah, sometime. Anyway, what I would do is I would say, you see your dog with something in their mouth. And instead of being like, what's that? I'd be like, you found that shoe that I left out. Awesome. I knew I should have put it away and run directly to the fridge. The excitement for the puppy in that moment is like, yes. And then they come to the fridge, you trade with them, and then you take the shoe back. The downside is, is yes, you might have a dog that's looking to pick up things, but they're not looking to destroy them then. And they're not looking to inhale them. And so for me, in the limited time that I have with families, you know, sometimes I might only see them for six sessions and then they're like, we're done. We've had enough with dog training. We know enough now. 
and that's all I have. I want them to know those two things that they're not, that the object is less likely to be destroyed and less likely to be inhaled. And I think the vet bill thing, that's one of my go-tos as well, Vinny. I'm like, you don't want to be spending, you know, $5,000 having this taken out of your dog's stomach. And that usually yeah. And then the other thing I do, and if you're listening to this and you have a dog that's doing this, consult with a professional. Don't take my advice. <laughs> you have disclaimer. to do that whole thing. Yeah, the disclaimer. <laughs> um, but, you know, I'll tell puppy, new puppy parents, if you do have to, like your 10-week-old puppy just picks up a razor blade, don't say your drop it word. Just go in and take it out. You know, like I do a lot of that too so that I'm not poisoning that word from day one of like drop it means I'm coming and I'm stealing it because then the dog hears the word drop it and then there's this whole thing. So I'll just tell them like, hey, if you're in a situation where the dog's not dropping something or it has something that's going to kill them, just go in and just just get it silently and don't give them a heads up. Yeah, you that... have to. There are some things that are really dangerous and you and you have to swipe the mouth. I mean, if it's a razor blade, you want to be careful about what you, <laughs> you know, mind your fingers. Um, there's something else that I didn't add, actually, which is a game that I've just started sort of introducing, which is um, Shirag Patel's um, drop game, you know, where he actually puts food on the ground. So instead of telling the dog to drop, the drop is I'm dropping the treats on yeah, the ground. Yeah, 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 and yeah. that's really, I think that's a really great way to help kids if they find themselves find their dog in an emergency situation is to have a container of treats they can readily access themselves you know some kids aren't tall enough so it could be in a drawer they just open the drawer grab the treats on the ground and say drop um and buy themselves a couple of seconds while they call a grown-up to be able to deal with it but um yeah, you don't, I mean, we don't have the ability to be in, in people's homes 24 seven to see all this stuff. So you have to just do the best you can with the limited time that you have together. One of the things that I um like to Vinny's point actually, is that I always make it a point and I found this to be very helpful the past few years. I always make it a point to tell owners, like the reason we're trying to do trades and all this stuff now is because in the event that there is an emergency or your dog does pick something up that's dangerous. At least you have a little more buy-in to be able to go in and swipe the mouth because your relationship isn't ruined or tarnished by the fact that your puppy has learned over and over and over this negative history of you going in and swabbing their mouth. Whereas mm -hmm. now if your puppy's mouth hasn't been swabbed really that often or, or much at all, now when you go in to grab that thing, it might not be as bad because mm -hmm. you were doing something else instead, despite trading potentially being annoying or inconvenient at times, it can, you know, save you from a lot later on. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. That's totally true. And I, I've even started saying to my dog, you know, one of my new lines is let me see. Mm. So like spit it out, let me have a look at it. And then I might give it back to you depending yeah. on what it is, but like, it's not drop it, but it's just like, let me see what it is. And yeah. And you can possibly get it back. Because I think that's the thing is if they know that you're always going to take the thing away, even if it's for food, a food reward, the thing they have, like, you know, Cabby, my dog was notorious for finding animal parts in the woods and she'd have like this deer leg. She brought this deer leg home and it doesn't matter how many treats I have. She's the deer leg is better. Let's just face it. It doesn't really matter. So, um, but I would, I let her have it in the end. I was like, okay, eat it. Disgusting, but your dog. <laughs> Actually, I threw it over the fence, first of all, and she went and got it and just brought it back. It was so important to her. I was like, okay, dude, just have it. That's fine. Okay. <laughs> See? Oh. Agreement. You're looking at me, though. He's like, is that all right? 
<laughs> talk about barking. It's like, are you done, Dad? Come on. He's like, are you done? Um, another thing that I, I taught this guy, and this is another one where it's like, just beware. It's it's somewhat it can get iffy, but I taught him to open his mouth like as a behavior. Um, you know, when he didn't have anything, obviously. So I would just have a bunch of his food and I would just gently almost like the handling drill, same with like the ears and the touching and stuff. Like I would just like gently open his mouth as soon as you open, yes, and reward. And I did some like handling stuff like that. And I mean, he loves it. You know, I had when you said that, I had this image of him going. Uh, yeah, see, it's not, see your you're teeth. manipulating his Let mouth open, not him doing it himself. Yeah, no. Nah, okay. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> that is a great party trick. I was like, oh, what? That's, let's see what you can race and see who can put that on their dog first. It would be so fun. <laughs> the jaw drop cue. Exactly. Or catch it, you know, <laughs> open wide. I guess going like back to your the conversation with, with trainers, how. How can trainers become maybe better with like working with kids? Because there are trainers, like you mentioned in the very beginning. They just have to have kids, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, just go pop out a couple of kids and then you can yeah, get back into it. Um, I think that the most important thing is to take care of, like we, we instinctively know when we get called to a dog training and air quotes appointment that we're going to help the dog. But I think we really have to think about helping the people here because if we can put the, you know, the oxygen mask on the parent, first of all, they're going to be in the better position to be able to help the dog and the kids. Um, that's just, that's the first thing. So one of the first things I need to be sure that they have is a really good off space for the dog um, where the dog can go and relax and actually enjoys it. And if the dog doesn't enjoy it, I'm going to spend some time ensuring that the dog does enjoy it because they have to have this they need mental a mental break both the, the dog from the family and the family from the dog so that's really important making sure they know what roles you know as we touched on earlier um who's doing what in the house um and i think tapping into some of the things this is we haven't we haven't really discussed this but i think this is probably a good place to bring it up is that while families can seem really kind of uh, intimidating to work with because there's so many personalities and kids can be so unpredictable, there are some really great things about families that um, they they really understand how to raise another being because they've done it with their children. So things like management, they get management. They have cribs, they have strollers, they have baby gates. Um, they understand why what we're doing with this this concept to protect the um, the being and to create a good safe relationship with them. They understand the concept of reward and consequence because they've lived it already. Um, they've uh, they understand that we have to get to um, and this is where it's like positive training is really important. This this piece I think is that understanding the emotion that's driving a behavior. Um, that is really important, like getting to the emotion underneath that behavior. Um, because if you can see that, you know what you have to do, you know what your plan needs to be around helping your kid get through that moment. Um, you know, if they're screaming and crying, are they screaming and crying because they're frightened? Are they screaming and crying because they're mad? You wouldn't treat those two situations in the same way. And so we can easily make that straight line. Oh, that you know what you do with your kid. You could do exactly the same thing with your dog. You need to look at your dog and see what's happening here and then treat accordingly. Because it's if you when you go into like the kind of the punishment world, it's just like immediate punishment, don't do X. 
but we I think parents are, can see this clearly how important that piece is um they also know even though they we all hate the idea that there's no magic fix for behavior change there's no magic pill no matter how much it costs they understand that it takes time and work and consistency and um and I think that um, that that just makes life easier for them. And I know, you know, when we, it's really great that we've been having so much more of these conversations around dogs being dogs and who dogs really are. I think parents are really relieved to have that conversation because they think that their dogs have to be perfect. You know, not pulling on leash, not digging a hole, not barking. They've got to do everything perfectly because they're on social media and they see all these perfect dogs doing perfect things and, you know, and when you tell them that all these things that they think are naughty and problem behaviors are actually just dog behaviors, um, I think there's a massive sense of relief. Mm. Yeah, that's a good point. So there's loads of great reasons. There you go. If I convinced you, I mean, do you actually like working with families or are they terrifying to you? I love working with kids personally. Do you? Yeah. That's and that's, I guess like, that's what I'm trying to dig into more with my question is, there are trainers who don't like working with kids, which is fine. Mm -hmm. um, but maybe for those who kind of, who want to find how to maybe get that connection or joy of enjoying working with kids, how, like, what can they do to become better at it? Because it, it is a skill. I mean, I, I sometimes, I don't know. I sometimes think it, depends on the individual, honestly, because if the kid's not going to click with you, they're not going to click with you either. So I, I feel like sometimes it's a, it, you know, I think it's a skill in a way to work with children because sometimes they're going to not find you fun versus maybe another person. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like the kid might find you know, Uncle Joe fun, but they're, they won't do the same thing with their dad because it's not as fun or whatever. Like, you know, like the fun uncle type of thing, you know? Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I just find like sometimes, um, I just find sometimes maybe it's also that the trainer does cry, but struggles because they can't connect with the child themselves. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And kids are all different. Just like, you know, Grown up, same thing. But it's, I guess that one of the, if I was struggling to connect with a kid, I think I'd want to figure out what floated their boat. Like, what do they like to do? And then tap into that. Are they the sporty kid? Are they the arty kid? Are they the, you know, the performer kid? Or are they the quiet kid? Like what, what really excites them? And then try to connect on that level with them and then see what I can bring from my, you know, dog training head into that conversation with them um whether it's reading a story or whether it's playing a game or whether it's being silly or whether it you know whatever the thing is that can that yeah can help me get closer to that kid i and 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 for the trainers that don't want to work with kids i totally get it and not everybody has to do everything like i don't i don't work with really aggressive dogs i've never been interested in that it's just not my thing um and so I leave that to other people. But if you're a dog trainer who really doesn't like working with kids and families, I think it's totally fair to tap out and say, that's not my, that's not my jam, but also know that those kids and that family still needs help. They need to have this kind of education. So whether you um, send them on to another trainer who works with 
families or you can help them um, do a program that gives them this base level of education, they, I, I would hate to see them ignored because honestly, bad dogs, dogs, no, I don't want to say bad stuff happens to dogs, but you know, dogs don't live happy lives with some kids if they're not checked or educated about, you know, how they're, um, how they're interacting. And as we said earlier, you know, dogs will get rehomed and sometimes even euthanized just from the way that the the families behaved around the dog. So that that information, I think, is just so important that we do a better job of making it easy for families to find what they actually need to teach. Because I think they would if they knew. It's just hard to find. Vinny, do you like working with kids? Yeah, I'm actually, I'll be honest, I'm a little surprised that I didn't know people did it. <laughs> I had a feeling maybe it's because I still I still play video games and watch cartoons so I, I don't know I fit right in um, <laughs> no I, I like I said I mean my experience with a lot of kids that I work with is a lot of times they're more enthusiastic than the adults like that's just I don't know maybe that's just me and the kids that I'm around sometimes a situation that um, I don't know if you guys have ever experienced this it, it, it's not how do I say this it, it doesn't upset me it's it just sometimes I don't know what to do um fully is like I'll go to a house and the parent will open the door and be like all right hi like this is Mia she's eight years old have fun and then like it's just me and like the, the parent just wants me and the kid and the dog to do training and like they just go back upstairs and go to go to work and then I'm like now sitting in this house with like this like nine week old puppy and this like little kid that I've never met before. And I'm like, all right, we're going to start doing training now, you know? So obviously what, what I do is I explain to the parents, like, look, you guys obviously have to be included in this also. And most For of many them reasons. obviously, <laughs> most many. of them obviously feel like, obviously know that, but sometimes, you know, like it's tough. Like I've been to someone's house before where maybe they're taking care of two newborn babies and there's dogs running around and then they're like, oh, we just got this new puppy. Like I need you to train that one. And it's like, it's chaos, but you still kind of make do what, what you're working with. And a lot of times, you know, back to the tricks, like I, I literally look at the kid and go, hey, what do you want to work on? <laughs> like, like, what do you want to do? You know, and then as we're doing that, I'll kind of like sneak in other little things you know, like even if it's as easy as like making the child hold the leash while we're doing tricks so that the dog is getting used to being like handled by a leash, you know what I mean? Or mm -hmm. the the little kid is learning how to hold the leash the right way. Um, but yeah, no, I like I like working with kids. Yeah, I was going to say you're you're They're fun. a giant kid anyway. So oh, shut up. I'm like five foot six. I'm not giant anything. Come on, Anthony. <laughs> you're going to make me roast myself here. <laughs> That's uh, good though. Give them, give them what they want, and then sneak in what they need. That's always yeah, like in the back in of my head. Stuff. Like, let's start with what they want, and then I'm going to sneak in the stuff that I want them to learn. So you know, it just made me realize this is so random. But now that you're saying the height, because Vinny and I are the same height, isn't it the worst when the kids are the same size as you or taller? <laughs> oh my! Well, they're taller God. than me, man. They're like taller than me. I'm like, oh my goodness. Yeah. Um, no, oh, wait, I want kids to, are I'm great. The, the the one question I had before, and I don't know if this is like kind of too tough of me, but, you know, sometimes they'll be like the teenager that like walks in mid mid uh, training session, just like rolls their eyes and like yeah. walks into the room and shuts the door. And like, I'll just tell the rest of the family, like, hey, just tell them to stay out of it. Don't mess it up then, <laughs> you know, like, right. you know, like just if you don't like the dog, like, cool. Like, I think maybe that's something we didn't touch on is like not every person in the family should be like forced 
Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like I've had, I've had parents that like, they have again, a child that isn't really into the dog and it's like, dude, stop forcing her to take the dog for a walk every day. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like maybe yeah. the best thing is for that, you know, like, and is there anything that child enjoys with the dog? Oh, maybe it's playing Frisbee. Okay. Guess what? All she has to do is play Frisbee with the dog for five right. minutes. Right. Don't make her walk it. Don't make her train it. Yeah. Don't make her worry about how to do a sit stay because now that, that, you know, that you know, I don't want to say it's usually a teenager, you know, they're like rolling their mm-hmm. eyes and they think they're too cool for school. And they're like, you know, I don't care about teaching the dog how to sit or whatever. So like, then just don't knock over the sandcastle. You know what I mean? Like let us build it and just get away. Just go over there. And then I find that, I don't know if it's like reverse psychology, but then once the dog does start learning things and oh, look, it's playing fetch, like then that child wants to be involved. Yeah. I don't know. That's kind of what I see. So So I think sometimes they're almost impressed that I'm like, yeah, get away. I don't want you here. Like the parents like, oh, does she has to be here for this? Right. Mm -hmm. And if I can sense that she doesn't want to be, or he doesn't want to be, I'm like, no, it's cool. Like, see you later. I'm actually (laughs) glad you brought that up because before that's what I was kind of getting at in the very beginning of our conversation earlier about having a session or a couple sessions without the kids. When the parents like on the phone mention their kids wanting, getting their kids involved, I'll make sure when they're inquiring about like the services, like I start asking questions about the kids. Do they want to be involved? What's the relationship like? Are they afraid? Do they find it annoying? Because that's going to give me uh, some information to decide certain things. So like Vinny also mentioned before the chaos piece, like, oh, like they have two kids, one's an infant, one's this. Okay. Well, if you're going to tell me like that information, I might say to you, it might be good to have a sitter or someone home mm-hmm. to help you that way during the session, you get the most out of that yeah. time that you're paying for. Yeah. I think that's why that, and that, that, so that's why I, you know, before I was saying like, I like to do two, sometimes three sessions. It really, but again, that depends on if the kids don't want to be involved. If it is the teenager who's rolling their eyes, like don't force them to, to, Oh be gosh, no. You know, because there's nothing worse than that. You feel like you're like doing a stand up act and like everyone's booing you and you're being heckled. It's like that's the kind of stuff I dream about and be like, shit, don't ever let that happen to me. Um, (laughs) I think teenagers are really tough, honestly. Like, as again, I said that, you know, I've gone through teenagers with my kids and sometimes it's really, it's really difficult. I, I think letting the kids that don't want to be involved, totally fine, especially if they have that very sort of nonchalant relationship with the dog, because actually I never see issues between a dog and a nonchalant kid. Yeah. Never, yeah, yeah. ever. <laughs> the kids that are the, t- that like I've labeled them, the three that I see issues created are the zoomy kid, mm-hmm. um, the bossy kid and the smoochy kid. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. if you have any one of those three, they're the ones that can be, again, misinterpreted by the dog. But the one who doesn't really care about the dog or doesn't particularly like it, I shouldn't say don't like, because that could also be like, they can be a bit mean to it. But the ones that just don't care about it and have no interest, th- that's awesome to me. That's job yeah, done. They're clear and they're consistent, done. honestly. Yeah, exactly. right? They're clear what? and consistent. The, the dog's dog like, okay, that's who you are. Yeah. And guess who the dog likes the most? That kid. Yeah. Always. They yeah. always want to connect with the kid that doesn't really like care too much because yeah. the other kids can be handsy and, you know, mm-hmm. and too much. So, yeah, I think like giving them some free will. And if you really do want to connect with the kid again, as we said, teaching the dog to do something really fun where the dog looks awesome 
I think even teenagers, their faces crack, you know, when you yeah. teach them a really fun trick, they can't hold it. They can't as much as they want to be too cool for school. They're like, mm, that is pretty awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so before we wrap up, I have a question for you, something we that you brought up in passing before. So I want to go back to it. Um, you mentioned really quickly before about firing clients. Oh yeah. So I want to touch on that because I, I, I think that there are, I've definitely seen conversations. I remember I had a case a bunch of years ago where, um, I ended up deciding to fire the client. Um, and it actually involved the, uh, children because of some of the issues that they were having with the dog. And so I was kind of curious for you, what you'd like to like, what, not what you like, what is, what, what do you, when do you choose to maybe have to come to that decision to fire a client or what do you like to, how do you like to coach trainers going through your program when they're in a scenario where they feel they need to let a client go? So like everyone has their own everyone's going to have their own ethics on that, like where they, where they draw the line. So I'm just kind of curious, like what might cause you to do that if it involves things with, with the kids and the dog. I think when it comes to a place like, you know, if you go um, into a family setting and you can see that there is real potential for danger and you highlight that potential and you give them a clear plan to work around it, and you are not getting any buy-in or you're getting flagrant resistance to it, um, I think that's a time to part ways. As far, I mean, just from a liability standpoint, um, and I'm no lawyer and I really know nothing about the law, but this is just my own kind of thought processes. I don't want my business to be entangled in a kid getting bitten in the face when they're under my, they're working with me. So I, if I'm telling them, I mean, I would, I feel like I'd be protecting myself with all of my, you know, my documentation, any emails that I'm sending and phone conversations that I, I'm not recording my phone conversations, but everything that is coming from me would protect myself. But I don't even want to be in that position that that family is working with me while their child gets bitten because they are choosing to ignore information mm -hmm. that I think is really important. And so with this particular client that and um, there's one that really stands out. I mean, I couldn't have laid it out clearer to her. And then she sent me a picture that she thought was really cute. That was so dangerous. It was so dangerous. And I just was like, I, ca I just can't. And it's really unfortunate because I know that I, I can't help that family. Like I really, that, I don't know about you guys, but there's nothing worse to me than knowing that I am not going to be able to help somebody. I just want to help. I think that's why I like being in this business. I really like to 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 change people's worlds, change people's viewpoints, um, and help them see an easier, like more functional way for them to live with their dog. Like that's that's like the be all and end all for me. Make their life just easier and better. And um, so it, it hurts to have to walk away, but at the same time, there are some people you just can't reach. And I've oh, learned good. to accept that. That's good because I, I I actually that was similar situation where I had a, a client who the dog was really targeting one of the kids specifically. And it was because she was constantly overhandling, being over pushy, just a lot of things. And um, 
it was just getting to a point where even with a lot of warning, I kept telling them over and over, this is going to get worse. This is going to, you're going to have a bigger problem on your hands. And over months, it started developing at a point where I said to them, you know, look, I, I've given you guys a bunch of warnings. I really, there's nothing else I can do for you because you're not, you know, willing to listen to, to the signs or the information you're hoping that, you know, basically they were hoping for like, you know, I could just come in with my my wand. Um, and I decided at that point that this is, you know, this isn't fair to to the dog or, or you know, the child or the parents. But at the same time, if you're not willing to change, I can't help you. If you're yeah. not willing to implement certain strategies, I can't help you. So I just at that point decided to let them go. I think it's all you can do. And it's sad, yeah. but it's 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 the right thing to do. Yeah. Yep. Um, so are there any other topics or things that you wanted to touch on before we wrap up? Um, I just, I no, I think that, I mean, we've said so much, we've talked about some really good stuff today. I, I think that, um, it, it's just really helpful for, um, for trainers to understand how thinly stretched parents are. And I think they always want to do their best. I think that's why, you know, to what you were saying earlier, Vinny, about parents saying, I want them to be in the lesson. I want to make my kids be here because they they should all over themselves all the time. Like we should be that family that everybody comes to training and we're doing the right thing. Um, so they, I think the intentions are really, really great, um, but they are their bandwidth is is stretched to maximum um so if you as a trainer if you work with the family going in and being empathetic meeting the family where they are even if it's a disaster don't give them too much to do give them one thing to do that will change their world that week and make them be like god i'm so glad i saw her that was really helpful or saw him that was super helpful um so be really be really simplistic in what you're setting them to do and make sure that they really understand it before you go. Because I'm sure we've all had those clients, I've done it myself, where I thought I've explained something really well and I go back the next week and I'm like, no, no, that, that wasn't, that's not what I was thinking. So just make sure, watch them do the thing um, before you leave and be really honest with them about um, about what dogs are really like rather than us all perpetuating this myth that dogs are stuffed animals and their kids should be allowed to do whatever they want to them. Um, you know, Anthony, I call it stuffed puppy syndrome, but I think social media really has made this exponentially worse. In fact, my daughter just showed me a video the other day and she's my daughter and she's 18. She's like, oh, how cute this is. And it's like a dog wearing sunglasses. And she's like, it's a whole challenge. Now all these dogs are wearing sunglasses. And I'm just like, like the, this is my own child that we've talked so much about dogs wearing <laughs> clothes and like, let's not do that. And anyway, yeah. so I think that a lot of parents see a lot of stuff on social media and they think it's fine for kids to do crazy stuff to dogs. And we just have to be honest and say, look, that if we, if we invited a lion into our house and said, Oh, I just bought myself a pet lion right down the pub talking to our friends god i just got this lion you wouldn't expect it to behave anything other than like a lion but for some reason when we bring a dog into our home we expect it to act like a stuffed animal and it's like literally the only animal that we don't give license to 
um, to be themselves. Like we know birds do bird stuff. We know cats do cat stuff. You know, rabbits do rabbit stuff, but dogs aren't allowed to do dog stuff. Mm. Not when it comes to kids. So I think we have to be really honest about that. Yeah, it's a great point. <laughs> so tell everyone where they can find you. Tell everyone about your programs for parents and for trainers. Fantastic. Well, my goal is to try to help everybody, all trainers, whether you want to work with children and families or you don't. So you can go to my website, which is thefamilydog.com and click on the pros button there and you'll see all of the offerings there. Or you can just email me directly if you want to at justine at thefamilydog.com. Um, if you know you're a person that desperately doesn't want to work with children, but you know that they need help, then you can refer them to our family-based programs and get paid for actually helping families get the help that they need. Um, and that's, we have this program called Team TFD, TFD being the family jog. So easy to sign up for. There's no commitment, no, you know, uh, just commission-based only, and you can cancel at any time. Um, and it's free as well. And if you do like the idea of working with families and with children um, as well, we have a bunch of programs that you can choose from. Again, it's on the pro section of our website from summer camp programs. Everything's done for you, basically. I like, because of my TV background, I like it all to be just completely succinct and um, like somebody else has done all the legwork. So if you wanted to run a summer camp and you're thinking, oh, it sounds like a good idea, but just way too much work putting a curriculum together and all the marketing. Um, this has all been done for you. It's like summer camp in a box. We also have an in-home program, a six-week in-home program that trainers can can download and get started on immediately and start earning some cash. Um, and um, dog safety programs for schools, which are a really fun way for uh, trainers who want to work with kids and families but don't really know how to get started if you go into a school and you teach these programs for half an hour then I, I see them as like um living breathing business cards because you're introducing yourself your skills and how fun you are and how much you know and um and then you can start working with families in your community well thank you so much for coming on this was great oh thanks yeah, for thank having you. me nice meeting you yeah, nice to meet you too. I've become a bit of a mega fan, as I said to you earlier. I think this is a really interesting podcast. I look forward to every episode. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Canine Classroom. If you like the show, make sure to smack that like button, share the show with your friends, and give us a rating. Until next time, class dismissed.